0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated.
1: Okay, so let's um, settle back in. And is the sound okay? Is it too loud or too soft? Perfect, thank you. Excellent. So again, it's a total pleasure to be here and an honour to be um, sitting in James's seat as well. And James and I have a lot in common in regards to our interests um, in the Dharma. So um, very much um, the Brahma Vihara is a sort of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy. Practice is, is this, that is my personal practice very much. And at the same time, um, I've got a, a long-standing interest and action in terms of um, environmental sustainability and activism and, and climate activism and so forth. So James and I have um, connected over those many things um, together. So that is um, how I come to be here as I, I talked about my background just a little bit more on uh, my own sort of experience. So I have probably about fifteen, 20 years I've worked either as a um, you know, as a worker or as a volunteer, as an activist in the environmental movement so in uh, Australia. So I have a personal passion and interest in, um, protecting the planet doing everything I can um, and the the challenge with that I guess has been you know uh, in my 20s and early 30s that passion and throwing myself into activism and campaigning led to serious burnout and um, I wasn't looking after myself I was throwing everything I had at trying to save the planet single-handedly and it that um, burnout led me to be unable to keep, keep going at the pace I'd, and keep going with what I was doing. And that's pretty much the low which led me to um, find d- the Dharma and the meditation as the, the solution to that imbalance that I had. So I found a lot of the, um, the, the answers, if you like, through, through the Buddhist practice. And so that's the inspiration for the talk tonight. The title of the talk is Facing the Unacceptable Without Burning Out. So I'm going to talk about how the Dharma urges us to take wise action to try to change the wrongs that we see in our world, but how we can do this without burning out. So acceptance—the the idea of accepting something—is, I think, often misused or misunderstood in um, in the Buddhist movement. Um, so there's a there's a misconception that our meditation practice, sitting, is all about learning to accept problems, um, our own or the problems of the world, and just be with them. But this is not. Um, Accurate with how the Buddha uh, um, used the or, or approached the idea of acceptance. So I'm going to unpack this. So it's not about allowing and accepting horrible things and tolerating them. That's not what um, the Dharma supports. So I'm going to unpack this. First, before I get into the acceptance, um, the the idea of acceptance, I want to I need to talk about dukkha. Yeah, about suffering. So foundational aspect of the Dharma, as you're all well aware. So with um, suffering with dukkha, there is, um, I think there's a misconception, another misconception is certainly in the um, with many beginner meditators and in the more secular mindfulness world, as mindfulness has is taking off and growing and growing, there is... And this idea that sitting, meditating is going to help us escape from our suffering. Yep. So there is this, uh, particularly with beginners, they're feeling anxious, depressed, they've got problems, they come, sit, meditate, lie down, meditate, and they relax, they feel calm, this feels good, okay, I can escape from my problems, yeah? So I'm sure you've come across that, you may have felt that yourself, or met um beginner meditators who are who are really um, feeling, oh, they've discovered this sort of relief, if you like, this escape. But it's funny, um, when I first got into um, Buddhism, that when I talked to people who didn't know about um, Buddhist Dharma, they thought that Buddhism was all about suffering, you know, that the Buddha said that life is suffering, full stop. <laughs> so they were aware of the first noble truth, but not about the you know the second, third, or fourth ones. Um, but with as Western Buddhism's grown and it's you know it seems to me to be so, um, so flourishing in in the states and it is in Australia also. Um, and with mindfulness taking off as it as it has, um, people are seeing it as a path, meditation as a path out of suffering. Um, but the the risk is that it's escapism, yeah? So I'll, if I meditate enough, I'll be free of my pain and, and that's their end game, that's what they're, they're after. The practice is just about me feeling better and better. <laughs> this is great. Okay, so there's a few problems with this and one is that um, many people practice escapism on the cushion, so they sit down, if they're having a crappy day, they'll... Meditate their problems away. If I can just concentrate hard enough, it'll all go away, yeah? So in the short term, that may work, can work. And, you know, meditation's obviously great for feeling more relaxed and calmer, which we all need. But our problems, our habitual mental patterns, um, such as, you know, beating ourselves up, a common one, will just come back to bite us. So no amount of meditation can make our wounds or our um, unhelpful mental habits or our addictions go away. But an even greater problem um, than this is that if we're going to have a better world where, you know, where we have peace, we don't have wars, we don't have fighting guns, we, don't have, uh, we are able to protect the natural world, And understand we're dependent on it, we're part of it, Um, where people are truly equal and cared for, and so on, then we need to heal ourselves of these wounds and we need to also look at healing the world's wounds. So the problems of conflict and environmental destruction are just symptoms of those psychological wounds, I believe. So our most crazy leaders who are heading down the path of violence, and I'm sure you can bring to mind more than one, I think are the most wounded people, yeah? So if you think of perhaps um, your leader or um, North Korean leader or even in Australia our national leaders are not all that different, to be honest... Um, I can see that they themselves have these wounds, have these psychological patterns that they're not at all free of and that's driving them down these crazy destructive paths. And not only this, we also need an ethical framework and a plan in which we can function, you know, we can operate together. So how do we interact, work together together get out, or everyone's needs met, met while still flourishing. So this is interbeing. So Thich Nhat Hanh, <clears throat> the Vietnamese uh, monk, beautiful teacher and writer, he calls this interbeing, so it's how we relate not only to each other but also to the natural world. So I believe the Eightfold Path provides us with this plan and the ethics, the ethical framework, on which um, we can function and flourish and um, it's laid out for us. So, th- so these questions about interbeing are well beyond the meditation cushion, aren't they? So we start at the cushion, but they're about how we go into the world um, with what we have learnt and our insights from the cushion Okay, so the theme for this talk is acceptance. So, and I want to talk about non-acceptance, how we respond in the world when we're faced with situations we cannot accept. So, you you know, I'm sure you can all bring to mind something, even just today you saw that, you know, is unacceptable. I mean, I I couldn't get through a a talk about these... um, global issues or um, social, environmental issues without mentioning the the gun debate in the US is so present right now and it's such a raw issue. Um, and, you know, it's unacceptable. Yeah, Non-ex- We cannot accept that this is how things are. It needs to change. So that's just so front of mind. So let's unpack this. Um, Question about acceptance though Because it comes up a lot in in Buddhist practice Many meditators have the idea That Buddhism is all about accepting suffering Rather than resisting it And when it comes to our own internal experience So our um, emotional reactions, mind states Pain, physical pain even This is true so allowing things to be as they are rather than resisting them is the path to freedom from them. But it can also apply not just internally, it can apply to everyday annoyances. If you're in a traffic jam, you know it is um, wiser to accept there's traffic. I'm going to be sitting here for the next however long if I to sit here and get all worked up and angry about it. I'm just creating myself suffering. You know, let's just accept it. Um, Neighbours are being noisy. Let's just accept it and so on and so on. But imagine you were in a marriage where your partner routinely abused you um, physically or mentally. This would not be something to accept. Or imagine you have a friendship with someone who every time you see them... They seem to criticise you. Or perhaps a friend who every time you spend time with them, they just complain about their life and they're a real downer. And you feel really down after you've seen them. So you wouldn't just accept this. would you? You'd either ask them to change that or you would stop spending time with them. So it takes wisdom to see where we are what is useful to accept or or, um, um, best to accept and where at what point do we not will we not accept something so where I see acceptance is really powerful is as I mentioned accepting ourselves like our internal experience our emotions but also our history like what has the conditioning as they say what has brought you to be here right now and be the person you are for better or worse is best accepted so when we are on the meditation cushion is a great time to do that so if you're meditating and something comes up in your internal experience whatever it is it's wisest to accept it so I'll give you a great example I think because it's such a common one if, for example, you sit down to meditate and busy mind plagues you, and this may for some people happen every time they sit down to meditate, chatter, 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 you can just accept this as the mind's habit and your mind is like this. It is driven by your the habits of your mind and your body and your physiology. Your whole, perhaps your whole life, you were raised to push yourself, to keep busy, to achieve as much as possible, to succeed at everything. So this has put your brain in a constant state of movement, yeah, pushed along by your hyped-up body. This is so common, you know, many many people um, are very much like this, and it's a habit that your mind keeps looking for things to tick off the to-do list. So, And if you've been doing that for 40 years, 30 years, 50 years, like that's a big habit to break. So I know this because I'm married to someone exactly like this (laughs) and it is very, it's, it's a strong habit. And we all have habits of mind. That's just a particular one that I've seen with many people. So wisdom would be that we accept that you accept your mind is like this and work with it skillfully. So, if that if you don't relate to that, you could be a, um, quite different. That you start falling asleep when you meditate, or you get sleepy, um, and that's a different sort of pattern or habit of mind ar- arising from your life's experience. Okay, so, whatever it is, work with it skillfully. So, for example, you um, if you are the busy mind, chatter- chattering mind. You might focus more on practices that help your body wind down, calm down. You might quit coffee. You might uh, choose meditations like loving kindness or deep breathing practices that help you to settle. And gradually you would move over time towards the more concentration practices like breath meditation. But most of all, you would be careful not to turn meditation into a project on your to-do list to get really, you know, succeed and to achieve it. So to get the benefit, you'd need to go about um, letting go of that succeeding and achieving um, habit. So that's an example where you can bring wisdom to, we can bring wisdom to our practice by accepting how we are, how our body and mind is as a result of the causes and conditions of our life. But if we can bring wisdom and the ethical framework of the Dharma, we will quickly also see there are many things in this world we cannot accept and should not accept. The human suffering in the world, the way our society is trashing the natural world, the way our political leaders are ruling with selfish power, without um, caring for the common good, and you know, it's just in Australia, it is just as much that like that as as it is here at the national level. So, thinking about um, let's take the the big picture of the Dharma, the more metaphysical level now. So. Awakening allows us to see into the impermanent nature of all things. Yeah, so a nature, impermanence. So um, you probably have um, thought about this, um, meditated on the on the impermanence of everything um, in this world of form. So and clinging to wanting more of or having aversion to this world of form is a barrier to awakening. So, for example, if I'm obsessed with um, my body being youthful and, and clinging onto my youthfulness and beauty and health of a young body, but the reality is my body, like everyone's body, is aging. I'll be forever trapped in the suffering of, of the fact that I'm aging. Yeah. So um, that's an example of letting go of the form of you know my body. So dropping or clinging to form is required for awakening, but this does not mean we drop all care about what is here in this world of form. Okay, we live in this world in this temporary way, but we still have a profound experience in this world and a profound impact on it. So enlightened teachers say that when they see the unreality of all things in this world of form, through their release into the constant awareness of formless the formless, it only brings them more love and care to act with compassion in this world of form, to help all beings be relieved of suffering. So they're then, they are then acting from pure love. So the formless is pure love. And this is the driver of their action. So they're motivated. Coming from this place, one is motivated by pure love rather than motivated by some you know, need to succeed or the ego wanting to prove itself or whatever it may be. So we also feel coming from this formless this pure love we feel a total non separation so this experience of not self so it's then natural out of pure love and non separation we would want to help others and protect nature so this is why the buddha create sorry why the buddha became a teacher he created a system for people living in this world of form and imper- this world of impermanence to help them live with less suffering and in ways that help others live with less suffering. So he was motivated by love, pure love. And yes, the Dharma is a system of helping people um, move towards enlightenment, maintain enlightenment. But in the meantime, it's also about living an awakened life in this um, life, world of the form on our path. So um, the Noble Eightfold Path provides the framework of how we might do this. So in particular, the third, fourth and fifth factors of, um, on the Eightfold Path, which together make up moral virtue. So those, those um, three are wise speech, wise action and wise livelihood. So, um, And one other um, aspect of Buddhist Dharma that I want to mention that brings this kind of care for the world and um, motivates us to try and and make positive changes, of course, the Brahmavihara, so compassion, loving kindness, sympathetic joy. Okay. how to take action. The question I want to put to us is how can we take this action, go out into the world to save the planet or to um, be a social worker or to help homeless people or to you know fight for stronger gun laws, whatever it may be, for you. How do we do this without burning out? If you are really passionate about this and your life's work. I'm sure many of you probably work in helping professions, doctors, nurses, um, psychologists, therapists, um, social workers and so on. Um, And, you know, it's so common that people in those sorts of roles burn out from helping and putting themselves, everything they have, into helping people. So, and as I mentioned, I, um, when I was in my sort of 20s and 30s, went through that process of giving everything I had to try and save the world and I burnt myself out. And, um, you know, there are a few different reasons for this which I'll um, expand on, but I believe one of the big ones was I was unable or I was not uh, able to feel and process and cope with the emotions underneath um, what I was seeing every day so I'm thinking about climate change every day and reading and talking about how the future of our very world is at threat and you know our children and grandchildren may not even have a planet to live on I mean this is seriously depressing stuff yeah this is upsetting and without going into understanding the, the fear the Hurt, um, the worry, etc. Deep down, without um, dealing with that, I, th- I believe that's you know a quick path to burnout. So that's one of the factors for me. Um, another factor was very much um, imbalance. So I wasn't balancing my work in the world, my activism and campaigning, with looking after and nourishing myself. I wasn't. Um, I, I discovered meditation way too late in the process and once I did that you know helped a lot um, but early on you know it was just all work and no play basically was, yeah quick path to burnout so what I want to um, unpack now and then do a practice with you all is the emotional aspect of this so the underlying emotions when we're dealing with these really challenging issues in the world so the first one emotion I want to talk about is anger. So naturally, common, such common reaction, of course, when we hear about these crazy situations like um, the war in Syria or um, you know, lack of action on climate change or whatever it may be, we just feel so much anger naturally. So, the challenge with anger is when we respond with anger and we, we don't let go or process it and we act with anger. Um, our actions are really just a reaction against how we're feeling. Yeah? Our anger, there's always something underlying anger. Fear or hurt generally is what lies beneath anger. So, we're reacting and motivated by fear. Or by hurt, essentially, when we get out in an angry reaction, and so and it all is also where this sort of hatred of the enemy will come from, where we have this enemy and it's we're going to go out and get the enemy. That's anger. So it doesn't usually lead to fruitful solutions. Um, it's actually ill will and hatred and anger is one of the five hindrances in in um, the Dharma. And the uh, metaphor for this is if you have a pot of water and there's um, like dirt and soil in the water and it's all mixed up, it's murky water, you can't see through the water. The water is all murky. So just anger is like that. We can't see clearly because it's murky. So that means our actions are clouded by hatred or anger or the hurt beneath. So I just have a quote. Um, so one of the the um, the senior teacher, if you like, of all of the teachers, insight teachers in Australia is Christopher Titmus, and I'm sure many of you have come across him yeah, so he has used to come to Spirit Rock regularly. Um, so he no longer comes to the states, but fortunately still comes to Australia every year. Um, and I had a discussion, an inquiry with him uh, on this very topic at a retreat a couple of months back. And this is a quote from him on this topic of anger. It is important to know the difference between anger and non-acceptance. Non-acceptance is the first step towards skillful change. Anger is a blind reaction against what is. Okay, so we're working towards non-acceptance if we can um, process and let go of our our anger, the emotion underneath. So I'll give you um, one example, actually, that I um, saw when I was travelling over to the States on the plane. There was a number of environmental um, films, movies on the plane, which was lucky... Um, something interesting, and I had the Inconvenient Truth sequel. Has anybody seen that? A couple of people, yeah, a few people, great. So, um, and even if you've seen the first of those films, you'll know what I'm talking about. So in the film, I was fascinated with watching Al Gore where he went to the Paris um, climate change negotiations and so a lot of the film was about the whole process of how that agreement came to be reached. And in the so Al Gore was, a, you know, according to the film, was a key player in this whole process. And in the film it showed that right down to the line they're trying to get all these countries together to agree to this text of this agreement, you know, that they've been working on for years and it's it's full on and... If we don't get this, there's no action on climate change. You know, this is big stuff. And um, right down to the line, India was the country that was holding out against signing on. They didn't want to sign on because they they kept saying we've got billion people who, or millions of people who have no power and who are living in dirt huts and mud huts, and um, you know, who need their standard of living to be raised, and we need energy. And coal is the cheapest form of energy, so we can't sign on to, you know, cutting our emissions, essentially. So um, it was fascinating to see Al Gore, instead of getting angry and, you know, angry with India and fighting and trying to um, push them with anger, he, he sat down and got on the phone, actually, and worked out the wisest way he could navigate through this impasse. And he he got on the phone to the um, to an American a US um, solar company and said, "Can you give India offer India your intellectual property of your technology for free as a gift to um, as part of a sweetener, basically a package of sweetness to get them to sign on?" And he convinced this company to to do that. Um, and so he. Brought together, you know, these offers. India, here, this is what we, we're going to help you, and then um, help you with getting energy to your people, and so you can sign on. And that's what happened. So they agreed, and the you know the, the great moment of the film was India saying, "Yes, we're going to sign on," and everybody stood up and cheered in the in at the agreement in Paris. So, whatever you think about Al Gore, I think he's demonstrates an incredible ability to persevere um, from a place of optimism and wisdom and hope on climate change, the most challenging of all issues. So I'm personally very grateful for, for his work. Okay, so I think anger also tends to lead to burnout. So again, Al Gore, how is he not burnt out from doing what he does? You know, he keeps going. I think the energy of hatred, hurt or fear is depleting. So it's tiring, it's stressful and it's hard work to carry around a burden of fear and hurt when we're doing this sort of work. So if we can operate from a place of love and compassion that will energise us to keep doing this good work. So it's best to come from a place of wisdom and the energy of empowerment to help the world. And so compassion, love, this is what what will give us that energy. Another um, way I find, and I think many others do, find energy to keep working, doing good work is from nature. So if... Um, we're disconnected from nature, like we haven't had any time um, out there um, sitting by a river, in a park, um, on the mountain, whatever it may be. We get depleted by that disconnection, I think. So if we um, can go back and just walk in the hills, you know, around here, the hills are beautiful, or go to the, the water, go to the sea, go to the ocean, and reconnect with it. I think that's another place we can get re-energised to to keep doing um, our good work. And I, the other emotion I'd like to mention, um, look into for a moment, is fear. So this is a really common reaction, particularly climate change. You know, is overwhelming, and when if certainly people who are new to the issue, if someone describes to you, if you'd never heard of climate change and someone told you what it was and, you know, it's threatening the very survival of the planet and so on, how would you react? You know, you, it's full on, like it, it is incredibly, it's terrifying. It, how could it not provoke anything other than fear? And I think in, certainly in Australia, and I imagine it's similar here, the majority of the population hear about this issue and just can't deal with it and don't want to know about it and they their response is escapism, like sort of bury your head in the sand kind of reaction. That's what we've got mostly happening in Australia because that's a lot easier, isn't it, than dealing with fear? Um, so... I, and I know this because I felt this myself at times, you know, you go up and down with how you're coping with these sorts of issues, and I have times where I'm like, oh, this is too much, I can't deal with it, and I need to step away, you know, which is completely um, necessary as well. But if people are never able to touch into that fear and never able to go there, then we're never going to be able to get onto some sort of solution. And, and never going to get towards the action we need. So acceptance in the Dharma refers m- mainly, most importantly, to our ability to um, accept our own reactions and feelings in response to a difficult or a shocking situation. So allow those feelings. And then we can act from a more free place when we're choosing what to do. So Tara Brach has a wonderful Dharma talk on this called Genuine Acceptance. So that's on the Dharma Seed website. And I'm just going to quote from Tara Brach. She says that acceptance is opening to the actual feelings you have about a situation, the hurt or the anger, and being willing to just feel that. And it is out of that presence that you can respond Wise behaviour arises out of an accepting presence. So she also says that resignation is not the same as acceptance. So where you kind of give up, oh, it's all too hard, okay, that's different. That's more of a form of avoidance, really. Okay, so I wanted to do a short uh, practice with you all now, if you are willing. Um, So just a short meditation where I'm going to guide in in the theme of um, uh, reflecting on these emotions. So if you could um, get comfortable enough to do a sort of five minutes of um, meditation... And when you feel comfortable, closing the eyes. And settling into feeling the breath once again. Feeling yourself sitting here on this chair or cushion. And now from sitting here in this present moment, I'm going to invite you to bring to mind the image of an issue or a challenge that you care deeply about in the world, please don't choose anything too big or traumatic. So something simpler, perhaps like um, a homeless person that you're concerned about or um, images of a natural place that's been trashed or damaged. Whatever it may be, bring to mind an image where you feel a reaction, you care deeply about it, but not so huge that it's going to trigger you off. You could even just imagine um, seeing litter on the beach or plastic floating in the ocean. As you sit, breathing, and recalling this problem, notice any reactions in your body. So focus on the body. Notice any tension, any emotion, emotional tone, any changes in heart rate or breathing. Notice where in your body you feel the reaction. Is it your throat or your chest, your belly, or somewhere else? Breathing into that feeling. And notice if your mind goes into the story, tries to fix the problem. And try to stay with the feeling in the body. And now let the image drop away and come back to the breath. And if you are feeling still a lot of emotional reaction in the body, I'll invite you to take three long, slow deep breaths, feeling the full inhalation, the full exhalation. Let your breath return to its natural rhythm. from doing that short practice what did you notice in terms of the feelings the reaction in the body what came up for people You got sleepy, yeah. Oh, thanks, Andrew. Got a microphone. Was that um, because you're tired or um, why do you think that was?
0: I often get sleepy in the evening. Yeah. And, (laughs) yeah, a quiet place um, accents it.
1: Yeah. Um, Did you, in terms of um, recalling the... Issue or problem, the challenge. Were you able to do that, or was it um, hard to connect with a, um, a a challenge? You know, an issue that was personal for you.
0: I was I was focusing on the issue of um, trash. Yeah, but I I kind of lost it.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Okay, anyone else? Um, able to share any yep thank you
0: um, my wife and I um, about a week ago decided that we would walk through the alleys of Berkeley where a lot of people who are living on the streets and doing drugs and uh, tearing things apart and um, at, emotionally I I had compassion for them as well but mm. but also seeing them uh, destroying their lives um, so it was difficult so we we decided to walk down the street with them uh, with not with them but uh, along with them and uh, say hello and try to communicate it all um, and um, it was okay I mean I I felt sorry for them in in some way, and but that's enough.
1: <laughs> so you were um, just then. Were you recalling that situation then? And, yes. And what reaction did you have um, this evening? Um. Any feeling? Did emotions. It's,
0: you know it. It was tough to to be with, mm. um, and to see what was happening and. Uh, so it was tough.
1: Mm, yep. Thank you. Great. Anyone else? Okay, I'm, I'm going to share um, the issue that I was um, reflecting on and the reaction that I had. So the issue that um, I brought to mind was in in Australia, you're probably well aware, of the Great Barrier Reef. So it's unbelievably beautiful marine, um, huge marine environment. And it is dying as a result mostly of climate change but also um, pollution. Um, And the government, or you know, it's an international global problem, of course, but also our government's not doing very much about it And, in fact, they're pretending that it's not um, a real issue because um, one-third of the reef, it's massive, right? One-third of it has died. It's all white and, you know, the corals died and then all the fish and other species have had to move, have died or moved on. But the southern part of it, which is down where all the tourists go and nearer to the population, is okay. So they're pretending that it's totally fine. So this is the issue I brought to mind and for me the um, a re- the reaction I feel in my body about that is a tremendous hurt, like a deep down, that how could these people knowingly allow this to happen? So for me it's like a hurt which is sort of, you know, in the throat and the chest region and... Um, so it's, like it's a personal hurt, even though, it, you know, so I was going to say, even though I'm not the Great Barrier Reef, but I am the Great Barrier Reef, if that makes sense. So I feel it as, you know, we are all the Great Barrier Reef. Um, and and so that's the, yeah, the feeling that comes up for me. So, it, you know, accepting that, that feeling for me and being able to be with it, like you said, it's so uncomfortable and painful and difficult um but i think the practice is being with it just allowing those sorts of feelings to be there and and having insight into them okay thanks everyone for um for joining me in that practice so i just wanted to to finish off sum up um really what i uh what I'd like to leave with you about um, taking action and, and this non-acceptance um, of what should not be acceptable. Um, I personally have found that transferring, transforming that, you know, the hurt or the fear, um, the difficult feeling into action has always been the best solution, like the, the way to um, to process it in, in a positive way. But as I've tried to um, leave with you, tried to convey tonight that feeling and being able to be with the feelings first is so important and then going out into the world and transferring that sort of energy into positive action um, I believe is the most fruitful way to, to deal with these this, um, many challenging issues that are confronting us. So, you know, when an issue like climate change comes up, I feel this, ugh, like it's such a, I feel fear and anxiety. Um, and I would like to avoid and escape that feeling, but I'm going to move it into action. Um, and I find that um, is a way to actually transform it and let it go. So just to to sum up, in terms of... Um, Avoiding burnout. So if any of you are grappling with burnout, whether it's from your job or being an activist, um, you know, dealing with these sorts of issues. So processing and and, um, being able to cope with the emotions, obviously, is number one. Second one to to consider is about how we um, often create our identity or our ego is built up by these um, jobs or being an activist or a protester or whatever it is. So one, I'll give you a, a really amazing example. When I was on the recent retreat with Christopher Titmus, there was a counsellor who was one of the um, participants of the retreat, one of the meditators who's, who worked with homeless men. That was his um, job, actually. Interestingly, you mentioned that. Um, so he, this counsellor, he would go and work with... Um, men in his area who were living in the street and, and try to help them. And he talked about how he's finding this job so painful because men, some of the men would had died, so they were living in such awful conditions and I think probably drugs are involved. And he had lost a few of them, they'd passed away. And he was really devastated by that, understandably. And so the, there was an inquiry with Christopher into, you know, looking into this because he'd asked raised it as a question and he said that he felt that the question was how did he feel about these men that he was helping the homeless men and he said he was in love with them not in a sexual way but in love with them in that when he was helping them he felt so connected and in love with them yeah and that gave him the sort of energy to keep doing the work he was doing so he had a wife and a daughter and friends, and you know, so he wasn't looking for, for friends if, in that sense. But he was seeking the love and sort of um, operating and being energised by the love of these men. And then when they would die, you know, awful, horrific, if they would pass away or move on, he would be really devastated. So he came to see that this was not um, sustainable to, to um, operate, to do his job in that way. Um, so he was creating himself, giving himself, his meaning in life, his identity was so much through that job. And he was incredibly burnt out, as you would imagine. Okay, so a third issue is not nourishing ourselves, as I mentioned earlier, that um, is a challenge for myself when, when I was a lot younger, so completely being Unbalanced. Um, and not meditating or doing other um, nourishing things. And of course, when the work, the job itself, if it's your, your job or your full-time job is too stressful, um, you know an awful boss or a um, difficult client or whatever, I mean that's the reality of many of these jobs as well. So we, it is sometimes not sustainable or we have to find different ways to be in a helping role or working as an activist. So wise action is needed where we can meet a few conditions. Um, We are inspired to take action, seeing that we cannot accept the problem. Number two, we can act out of compassion, wisdom, love, out of love for all beings. Number three, we're not blinded by our emotions. We're... And, and we're not just simply acting out of, of reacting to our hurt, anger, hatred and so on. Number four, we can do this work in a way that doesn't burn us out. Number five, we can be wise in how we do it. We can maintain a healthy balance in our life. And finally, we can keep doing this work if we can accept our limitations <laughs> So it's okay that you and I cannot fix everything. There's a limit to our time and our energy, so we do as much as we can and that is enough. Thank you very much for listening. And there's about three more minutes if anyone has any questions before we finish up or comments if you wanted to add anything if we could finish with a with a meditation if you could um, settle and close your eyes for the metta dedication and with gratitude For our practice this evening and to all of you for coming together, gratitude for our Sangha and gratitude for our safety and being able to practice together and nourish ourselves. May you all be nourished to go out into the world and do your good work and offer love and compassion. We offer loving kindness. May all beings be well and happy. May you be well and happy. And may our world, together, may we be well and happy. everyone lovely to meet you all and thanks for having me this evening go well
0: thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharma slash donate